0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Uh, Let me invite you now to take your copy of the scriptures and uh, open with me to Luke chapter one. Uh, Grab a copy of the Bible and uh, open with me now to Luke chapter one. We are spending Advent this year in what we're calling the songs and stories of Christmas in Luke. Uh, We have never, uh, at least as long as I've been here, never walked straight through Luke's birth narrative uh, in Luke's Gospel. So we're doing that this year in 2021. The songs and stories of Christmas in Luke. So in Luke chapter 1, last week we saw an elderly priest named Zechariah serving in the temple and having the angel Gabriel appear to him to make the announcement that you, Zechariah, and your elderly wife are going to bear a son... And we're going to know him as John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel made that announcement. And now six months have gone by, and the time has come for another announcement, the Annunciation to Mary at the birth of Jesus. You'll see it there at Luke 1 at verse 26. Now, uh, if you're already there, let me just give you a a picture in your mind for you to just kind of latch on today as we walk through this text in uh, Luke chapter 1. Uh, And I want you to have the picture of a waterfall picture a waterfall in your head as we approach Luke chapter 1. You think about a massive waterfall. Maybe you've been to Niagara Falls or maybe you've uh, been to uh, some other kind of waterfall, uh, some kind of impressive waterfall. The unique reality about a large waterfall is that before you see it, you hear it. It roars, it rumbles with the, 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 the billowing of water over the edge of the falls. The unique reality of a large waterfall is that you see before you hear, before you see. In Luke chapter 1, I want you to think about a waterfall, and the substance of the text is not water overflowing, but grace. Grace overflowing like a waterfall pouring down and billowing hearing the rumbles of overflowing grace in luke chapter one the text billows loudly of grace and that's because the christmas story is a story of grace god giving his son to the world and in the gift of his son overflowing the gift of grace to a needy world flowing down from heaven in this annunciation to mary so overflowing grace in luke chapter one if you've got that picture in your mind and you've got your Scriptures open, let's pray and hear God's Word together. Heavenly Father, uh, we love the Bible, and we love that here You speak to us. We pray now that as we recall this story of how You sent Gabriel from the throne room of heaven to a far-off, uh, unknown village, Lord, that we in, in this place, in this village, might receive again the annunciation of glorious good news, of a Savior coming to earth to bring grace abounding to all who are in need, which is every single one of us. Lord, help us to hear again with fresh ears the joys of a Savior come to us and help us to hear it and give glory to Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Here again, Luke chapter 1 at verse 26 under the birth of Jesus foretold. This is the Word of God. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. May He write its truth in our hearts today. You've got in your bulletin there an outline on the back of the poinsettia. Insert an outline of this text, of the Annunciation. Uh, there's an outline of the dimensions of overflowing grace. In this passage, and we're going to see each of these three realities of overflowing grace how grace comes to Mary, and how through Mary's uh, reception of the Annunciation from the angel Gabriel, we also receive the Annunciation of. Grace, grace. Let's see these three dimensions of it. First of all, in verses twenty six to twenty nine, let's see how grace is disrupting the disruption of grace. Now, imagine, imagine Mary in this scene, in this reality. We could wonder, perhaps, good grief, what was Mary thinking and what was Mary experiencing there in this moment? An angel, Gabriel, appears to her, and she's telling telling me that I'm going to bear a son, and I'm not married. Mary is not married. You wonder perhaps that she was thinking, how am I going to explain all of this? And and how do I make sense of all of this? And and we can imagine for all the things that are on her mind, uh, it's probably not in our minds immediately what's actually on her mind, and we know it. What's on Mary's mind most of all? Verse 29 tells us. Verse 29 says that Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and try to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Isn't that interesting? That we know what is on Mary's mind is not the appearance of Gabriel, it's not even the news that Gabriel is bringing to Mary, which is astounding in and of itself. What is on Mary's mind most of all, and what Mary is greatly troubled about, is the greeting. In fact, there in verse 29, this idea of Mary being greatly troubled uh, is, is this Greek verb that carries this emphasis of deeply perplexed and confused with frustration. You ever been so confused you get frustrated? That you move from kind of head scratching to like being kind of mad. That's Mary, actually. Deeply perplexed, confused with frustration at, verse 29, the saying, what sort of greeting... Why should she be so perplexed at what Gabriel is greeting her with? Keep that image of the waterfall in your head, right? Here it comes. Here comes the force of the water, of the waterfall, which is actually the force of grace. The angel's word of greeting to Mary, whom Gabriel calls favored one, is actually the same root word. When Gabriel says greetings, O favored one, he actually says the same thing to her twice, but the English language kind of veils it a little bit here. Both the greeting and the description of favored one are from the same root word, and that same root word is grace. Gabriel is essentially coming to Mary and saying, Grace to you, Mary, you are favored. Grace, Mary, you are the object and recipient of God's grace. The Lord is with you. So, when Gabriel says greetings to her, he is saying grace to you, Mary, which is why Paul's epistles often begin or end with, rather than the word greeting, he will say grace to you, which is another way of saying greetings. So, the angel is saying to Mary, not just hello, but Mary, grace. Grace is coming to you. You are the object and recipient of God's grace, and that is why she's so disturbed. And the text tells us that. Mary is disturbed and perplexed with frustration that she should be the object and recipient of God's grace. That's what seems to uh, bother Mary most of all, is that she doesn't think that she's anything special. Why should this greeting come upon me? And why should I be regarded as such that Gabriel now comes to me saying, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Grace to you, Mary. You are the object and recipient of grace. And Mary says, Me? Why me? And I think it's really helpful that Luke invites us into the reflection that Mary is experiencing by giving us this clue in the text. I think it's a wonderful thing because Mary receives this word from Gabriel that is just abounding with grace. Grace, Mary, you are the recipient of grace, and her life is disrupted by the grace that's coming to her. I want you to see that in the text. Mary's life is upended because grace is coming to her. Because that's what grace does. Mary says, me? Why me? What does this mean for me? What will become of me? There's a great story that Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York, tells about a woman who who comes to his church, and this woman has been coming to the church for a long time, and she's been sitting under the ministry of the gospel and sitting under the preaching of the gospel for a long time, but has not really understood it, not really uh, really owned Christ herself uh, until uh, one particular morning when she hears the gospel proclaimed with understanding. She hears about the grace of God that comes to her that is free and unconditional. A grace of a gospel in which she does not work to earn or achieve anything, but she simply receives free and unconditional grace. She learns that the good news of the gospel is not about what we do for ourselves or the effort that we extend to be accepted by God, but rather what God does for us in Christ. In other words, she understands what the gospel is, She goes to Tim Keller, frustrated and upset, and confronts him after the service and says, That can't be good. I want to contribute. I want to contribute something to my salvation. Because if if I bring something to the table, if I contribute something, if God comes this far and I meet him halfway, then there's a limit to what God can ask of me. Because he only gives me so much, so I only have to give him so much. And I don't want to be put on the hook for everything. She said to him, if the gospel is that God's grace is free and unconditional, then that means there's no limit to what God can ask of me. There's no limit to what I have to then give him in terms of service and love. And Tim Keller just says, that's right. That's right. If he has given me everything, then there's no limit to what he can ask of me. And that seems to be at the heart of the disruption that Mary is experiencing here. The disruption of grace, because she's saying, Me, this object of grace, if I am the recipient of all of this grace, look at what Gabriel's next word to her is in verse 30. The angel has to say to Mary the same thing that Gabriel said to Zachariah, but in a different context: don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what free grace will mean for you, Mary. Gabriel was afraid because he was terrified at the sight. Uh, Zechariah was afraid of the sight of Gabriel. Mary is fearful of the obligation of grace. You see that? The angel, verse 30, "...do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God." Gabriel again emphasizes to Mary, Mary, you are favored in God's sight, you that are a recipient of God's grace. He affirms to Mary, don't be afraid. It really is true. God has favored you, and it has implications, major implications for your life, Mary. Why? Because Mary's already engaged to Joseph. That's what the word betrothal means. We don't have the context in our world today, but it is essentially engagement. A betrothal is a legally binding reality that you can only exit a betrothal by getting actually divorced even though you're not fully married yet. So they are essentially married but not yet consummated their union. And how will Mary explain that she is with child to a man that she's never been with, that she's having a child without bringing heaps of shame upon her? Right? That's the situation. To which Gabriel is saying, don't be afraid. This is God's plan, and it's full of grace. Mary's life is disrupted. Mary's life is upended by this. And the point I want to make to you is that everybody who comes to truly know the free grace of God unconditionally in Jesus Christ experiences a disruption of their life. Things change. They must necessarily change, or else we can't legitimately claim to experience the true grace of God because grace always disrupts. The disruption of grace. See then, secondly, the descent of grace in verses 30 to 33. Gabriel says to Mary in verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Gabriel is explaining the disruption now that Mary should not fear this unmarried virgin teenager who is about to bear a son, That doesn't sound very assuring at first until you realize what this good news is all about. Gabriel is saying, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb a child, but He is more than just a child because, Mary, in your womb, grace is going to come down. Grace is going to come down into your very womb, Mary, coming down from heaven, coming down from heaven to earth. Think about that for a moment. You know we have this tendency to usually think about grace like a, you know, it's a, it's a stuff or a substance. Like you can sprinkle grace on top of things like pixie dust or whatever. Grace is not a substance that you just kind of add into your life. The Bible says that grace is personal. That grace comes in a person and his name is Jesus. That's, what grace is. Grace is the person of Christ. What do you receive when you receive the grace of God? You receive Christ Himself, united to Him by faith, sustaining you and transforming you in His own image and likeness. And so, when Gabriel tells Mary that she has found grace, he isn't telling Mary something about Mary. He is telling Mary, and by extension, Gabriel is telling all of us something about Jesus. The point of the Annunciation is not that Mary is great, but that Jesus is great. We have to make this point. I think it's biblically responsible to make this point. There are other traditions that interpret the Annunciation to Mary and take it a completely different direction and end up considering Gabriel's Annunciation to Mary as a declaration of Mary's greatness. They end up thinking that Gabriel comes to Mary saying, Hail Mary, you are full of grace. But Gabriel is not saying that Mary herself is full of grace as if she could be some kind of reservoir or a repository of grace to dispense to other people that she can make available to others. But rather, Gabriel comes to Mary to say, Mary, you have found favor with God. You are seen to receive grace in the eyes of God Mary, you are a recipient of grace. You are receiving grace. Mary, you don't dispense grace. You receive it. Mary, you don't give grace to others. You receive grace yourself. Mary gets grace. She doesn't give grace. Gabriel's announcement to Mary is the announcement of a Savior for sinners. Sinners like Mary... Mary herself is a sinner. Jesus is the fountain of grace. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who intercedes, blesses, saves, and redeems. Not Mary. Gabriel's message is that Jesus' as grace himself has come to her not only to be born of Mary in her womb, but to be born for Mary that Mary herself might receive a Savior that all people need, including Mary herself. Jesus is the source of grace. That's very clear in the text, isn't it? Look at what Gabriel says about Mary's son. There are three really clear descriptions here about what Gabriel says about Jesus. First of all, in verse 31, Gabriel says, Mary, this son will be from your own womb. This will be your son. In other words, Mary is really your kid. That your son, Jesus, will be a true son of yours, a true man. In other words, really human. Now, Gabriel's announcement to Zechariah, remember from earlier in chapter 1, came in Jerusalem amongst the glories of the temple and the sacrificial system and the altar of incense and all the glories of Jerusalem. And here is Gabriel making announcement now 50 miles north of Jerusalem in a backwater town of Nazareth. And... Mary receives the Annunciation of Jesus, the Son of God. This nondescript girl, Mary, Gabriel comes without fanfare or drama to speak about the coming of Jesus Christ. And it emphasizes Jesus' true humanity. Mary, your Son will walk these dusty streets. Mary, your Son will know the ordinary sorrows of life in a fallen world. Mary, your Son will live in obedience. Mary, your Son in His true flesh will bleed and die and rise as a true man. He is truly of your womb. Mary, grace is coming down in the person of Jesus, a true man. But not just a true man. He is also, in verse 32, Gabriel says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary's son, the fruit of Mary's womb, Is true man and he is also truly God that he is the true son of God and the glory of God himself the son of the most high this is what we believe as Christians we believe in the virgin conception of the son of God in Mary's womb that the eternal son of God was united to human nature so that Jesus would be God and man in two distinct natures, but without separation in one person, one Savior, truly God, truly man. Grace is descending from heaven. And He is true man and He is true God. Do you see the the glory of this here in the Annunciation to Mary? Grace is coming down. The eternal God, the Lord of glory, the second person of the blessed Trinity is assuming human flesh to walk in the lowliest of circumstances without ostentation or any of the trappings of earthly glory, God Himself in Christ comes all the way down. All the way down. Do you see the emphasis in this? Down. Why is that so important? Because we have a Savior who has come all the way down. Not so far and then demands that you meet Him halfway but He has come all the way down in the lowliness of our flesh so that we can go to Him. We do not rise ourselves to heaven. Jesus descends from heaven that He might take us there Himself. The beauty of the Gospel is that you have a Savior, you and I have a Savior, and we can go to Him because He has first come to us. Grace descends. That's the good news that He will be one of us, that He will be the Son of the Most High, and moreover still, in verse 32 and 33, that He will reign, that this Messiah is a King. Verse 32 says, And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of His kingdom there will be no end. Mary, this Son of Yours is the glorious King. This is the glorious Messiah, the long-promised one, an heir to David's throne, the one whom Isaiah said 400 years ago. His name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there shall be no end, and He shall reign. How long? Forever. This is the one true King. And in this true man, this true God, this true King, the grace of God is descending to disrupt. Jesus is coming as King, Mary. You shall bear Him, and all the world shall bend their knee, including you, Mary. Grace is disrupting, and grace is descending, and finally, in verses 34 to 38, grace is assuring. We want to get to this part, right? Because we with Mary have all these questions, Gabriel has already told her in verse 30, don't be afraid, but we can understand that that her heart is still bursting with questions, right? And who can blame her? (laughs) Who can blame Mary for having a question or two about how is this going to work, right? Verse 34, she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Gabriel explains, and his answer brings Mary the assurance that her heart needs. And when grace comes, it brings assurance. How did, what does he say? First of all, he says in verse 35, that this will be, Mary, a work of the Spirit. Verse 35, the Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is the same depiction of the way God breathes life into Adam when He first forms him in the garden. He breathed life into Adam's spirit by his own spirit and Adam comes to life by a work of, of the spirit and now Mary in your womb is the second Adam the true Adam the last Adam to do everything that the first Adam failed to do and he will come by the work of the spirit who will overshadow you the promised seed of the woman to come to crush the serpent's head God will do it by his spirit Mary secondly in verse 36 he says by the way God can do these incredible things. Remember your cousin Elizabeth, who's much older than you, Mary? Verse 36, your cousin Elizabeth, who's also with child. Mary is Elizabeth's cousin and knows Elizabeth's story that she has long been without child. And now Gabriel tells Mary, well, she's six months pregnant and he didn't know. But guess what? God can do great things. Remember the stories of Rachel and remember the stories of Sarah and Hannah. God can open a womb. God can give life. Mary, God can give life to your womb. Still a third point of assurance though. It's not enough to say, verse 35, that the Spirit will come upon you. It's not enough to give you evidence in verse 36 that your cousin Elizabeth was his child because this is what is most important. Number three in verse 37, what does Gabriel say? Mary, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. This is really the final answer to all of Mary's questions, isn't it? How will this be? How how can that work? Gabriel's answer is nothing is impossible with God. I want you to hear it. I want you to hear this word of assuring grace that Gabriel gives to Mary that quiets Mary's hearts. It quiets all of her questions. It quiets her hearts. Nothing will be impossible with God. Do you need to hear that today? You and I need to hear that same reality that nothing is impossible with God. That grace comes and it brings assurance when we find ourselves asking questions like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to face this? How am I going to make it to tomorrow? And how am I going to face this trial? Or how am I going to receive this diagnosis or course of treatment? How am I going to do this? The Word of God says, nothing's impossible. God can do it. How will your promises be fulfilled to me, Lord? How will I handle this? How will good triumph in a world that seems to be so filled with evil? Another school shooting. Lord, how will your kingdom bring righteousness and peace in a world that's so filled with violence and so filled with hatred? Lord, how will my unbelieving children come to trust in you when they seem so wayward? How will it be? And the answer is in what Gabriel says, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. Do you also believe it? Do you also put your hope where Mary is putting her hope in agreement when she says, Yes, Lord, nothing is impossible. Whatever your circumstances are, whatever your situation is, whatever that that inspires you to ask the question how, as Mary asked many how questions here, eventually we've got to get to a point where we embrace what Gabriel proclaims that nothing is impossible with God, and we simply say, Yes, Lord. Mary receives this assurance of grace, and she, do you see it? She so beautifully resigns herself to God's providence there when she says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I have said this over and over and over. I will continue to say it over and over and over. Biblical faith is not full understanding but it is full trust. Mary gives us a beautiful example of that. Biblical faith doesn't get all the answers, but it trusts God wholly even without all the answers. That's what Mary represents there to us. So I would ask you the question, what do you need to trust the Lord for today? Oh, we all have it, don't we? We have all got something that we need to learn to say with Mary Behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. I don't have all the answers. My life is being disrupted, but I know that grace has descended and brings me the assurance that no matter what, God can do it. So grace is coming and in one sense turns everything upside down or really sets everything straight. So, so, do you see? This is what Christmas is about. The gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ that disrupts, that descends, that assures. And it's all about Christ. And Mary knows it. We'll find her later on singing about it. We'll get there, Lord willing. But for now, let's say with Mary, Lord, I trust You. Whatever You ordain is right. Give me the strength to walk through it and trust You no matter what. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your servant Mary, who is so beautifully pictures to us true faith and living hope. So, Lord, move in all of our hearts as well to express that same hope in the living Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we prepare now to come to the table of His grace, uh, stir in our hearts freshly the wonder and amazement that we have such a Savior. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.